Hey everybody, it's Associate Pastor Jeff Boyette here at Grace Chapel Fairview, and welcome to our podcast. Our prayer for you today is that you will lean into the message and that you'll walk away feeling inspired and changed, bringing you a new perspective on how Jesus is moving in your life. Let's join Pastor Ian. Amen, amen. I, uh, that song just resonates with my heart in a, in a crazy way. And I think it's because if we're all honest, that vulnerability uh, uh, to say like there's moments of weakness, there's moments that, 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 that we, even in all of our Christian character and development and growth, there's moments that we all realize like I am insufficient and I am weak, right? Lately, ever since we've announced this building, I have championed like big faith, big belief. We're going to see something miraculous happen. And I believe that with my whole heart. But at three o'clock in the morning, almost every day, I wake up terrified. What if it doesn't happen? What if he doesn't show up? What if, and, and the truth is, is it's, a, it's that prayer, right? It's that song. That, you, that that's the only thing that brings me back to go, okay, it's okay, why? Because I am not enough. We are not enough. We can't do this on our own. If we're doing all of this, this, this church life and God's presence doesn't come, then what's the point? It's religion. It, it, it's just another broken system that hurts people. But if he will meet us here again, then everything can change. And there's no amount of doubt or fear or worry that can wipe away the hand of God moving in his people. And so for me, as it's just sitting over there weeping, going like, God, it sounds like a broken record, but right now, like, I'm not enough, and I need you to meet me here again. And I love the sincerity of that song because it's just a question. And so many times in the scriptures, we see people come to Jesus and say, hey, are you willing to do this? I'm unclean. If you're willing, I know you can do it. And Jesus says what? I am willing. Be clean. We see people approach Jesus and they, and they meet him with this, this genuine desire for, for health, restoration, healing, and hope. And always he reaches back out to them with grace and mercy in his presence to do exactly what they need in their time. And it is my firm belief that, that we're not just in a moment as a church where we're going, man, it'd just be, be really convenient to have a space. It'd be really convenient to build a building. I believe God has called us to this. And so I need to, to tie my faith off to yours. And in my moment of weakness, I need you to stand strong and us all to walk forward together knowing that as we meet with him, as we ask of him, that he is faithful and good to provide more than enough. And that's what led me to today's message because I've been thinking, what does generosity actually produce? Not in a preacher's mind, right? Because in a preacher's mind right now, all I think about is generosity produces, we have a building. <laughs> that is not the point generosity actually had and, and the funny thing is this is gonna y'all gonna be like whoa you're a weird preacher when i first asked that question out loud on monday i went what does generosity produce like in my office i do this i talk to myself 
What does generosity produce? What does it actually tangibly produce in the life of, uh, uh, of a believer? But more than that, what does it say in the scripture about what does generosity produce? And I was stuck for a second. I went, well, it, and I had to ask the question. I was like, yeah, what is the Bible? Like, where are people generous in the scriptures? And at first glance, that's a hard, I don't know why, that stuck me for a second. I went, what? For sure, I couldn't think of anything. Like, right off the top of my head, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, surely the Bible is full of generous people, right? And so as I started digging into it, it, it like, it was like new bread, new manna to the, like this week to go, oh yeah, I remember this. And, and it's like my, my fears and worries had, had crippled my ability to see which, that which was true. And all of a sudden, I started opening the Word of God and getting blown away at just time and time again when generosity produced not just a preferred outcome, but a transformative experience for everyone involved. And as we've spent the last weeks diving into generosity, looking at, 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 at the, how to prepare to be generous, looking at what generosity really is, it's not about us just willing ourselves to be different. It's actually about us getting closer to Jesus and becoming more like him. Because if he's the great giver, then when we draw near to him and we live a life close to him, we, the byproduct will be generosity in our life. And so then you start thinking about that and you start going, okay, this is where we've been. We've got to actually look at the, at the scriptures. And so today I went, what are the results of generosity? What happens when people start to get generous? And I think I've got four examples today that I want us to dive into, look at, and, and, and start to add this to our faith. To go, this is what happens when people of God start to become generous. We looked last week at what the dangers and the war really against generosity is. If you missed it, go back and check it out. But the truth is, is Jesus himself gives us very clear warning that, 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 that there's a war against generosity. Because if, if it's the heart of God for us to be a generous people, then it makes sense that the enemy would go, I want to oppose that. If I can make them a greedy people, if I can make them a stingy people, then then all of a sudden they're not living in the life God created them to live. And so we said that the war against generosity is the danger that is inherently attached to goods, resources, and finance. And so Tim Keller does a fantastic job, and I just totally ripped him off last week, uh, of, of giving five reasons why gener uh, 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 finance have, have an inherent danger about them. But So go back and check that out. But today, as we push past those dangers, as we, as we go, hey, we recognize them, we don't allow money to become an idol in our life, we start to live generously, I think here are four different examples, and we'll quickly go through them today, of what happens when generous, uh, generosity hits the people of God. The first one is found in Exodus 36, 1 through 7. And I actually did something this week. I went and I, uh, I looked over these, and I'm trying to pronounce these names right. I oftentimes don't. <laughs> but uh, it starts like this. Anne Bezalel and Ohalib. <laughs> See, I did it again. I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name. And every gifted artisan in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Now get this, then Moses called Bezalel and Oliab and every gifted artisan in the whole heart of the Lord and put wisdom 
everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel, the people of God, had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment. This is like a good day for a preacher. They caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do uh, any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. You see, I think that's one of those verses that you just forget about sometimes. This is not a story about modern-day Grace Chapel Fairview. This is a story about the people of God coming together under the vision of Moses, the vision of God, to build the temple. And so they were, they were, they were hearing from God. They heard the, the call, build the temple, do this. And, and, and it's not just about the building, right? It's about the experience that's going to come from it. What does the building represent? The building is actually God's meeting place and the inhabitants where God is going to interact with his people. That's what the provision was for. That's what the, the call was for. And when the people of God got the vision of God, I think this is where it's safe to say the, the byproduct is more than enough will be there. And that's one of those deals you go, I don't know how. how I mean, these people were, were desert dwellers, and all of a sudden they had more than enough to do all God had called them to do to build the, the temple where God would meet with his people. You see, the people gave so generously that Moses had to actually say, stop giving. And that's something we got to read a couple times over and go, that, it actually says that. And this isn't just a story to, to kind of back up like, Oh, we, we should be generous. It's No, this actually happened. This is where generosity comes from. This is why the people of God are called to be generous because we are, we, we're seeing a, a picture of what actually took place. There was a moment in time in history where they were so confident of what God had said that they brought all, they took care of all, they did everything that was necessary in order to create a place where God was with his people. So much so that Moses had to say, stop. You see, the results is the temple was funded. And it's not just a thing that it was funded. It was a thing where all of a sudden they had everything they need to create space for God to be with his people. It's another thing to have. It's one thing to have good ideas. It's another thing to have a God idea. This temple was a place where God's uh, house and the presence of God was going to be on earth. It had a big, purposeful design, and there are countless points we can make. You can go back and look at the, at the strict rules and ways that God said to build it. But the truth is, is the focus I want to look at here is the big one, that this is a place where God interacts with his people, and that's a miraculous and worthy cause. You see, overwhelming generosity of God's people results in God having a place to be with them. There is this real tangible thing. You can look at that story and go, man, when we get the right vision 
and the people of God get the right generous heart. That's all of us. That's not me talking to you. That's me being a part of you. When we start to get the heart of generosity right, there will be more than enough. Another product of generosity, we're not going to read through two whole chapters of Corinthians, is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And I'm just going to say this. We don't have slides for it because, again, it's a, you know, it's two whole chapters. But the truth is, is this is a part of the scriptures where it talks about the, the, the Corinthian church providing for the Macedonian church. And it talks about all the spiritual byproducts that are going to come because they took care of real needs. And so one of the points I want to make today is sometimes the church is going to be an investment when the, when the, when the people of God get generous, people that you never are, you'll never meet are going to get blessed. That's something very different. That's something outside of our culture, outside of what we're used to. But the truth of the matter is when the people of God start to live generously, then people that you're never going to meet are going to get transformed. And, and this is a, is, a, is a talk all about that. It, it talks about how the Macedonians were, were not just provided for financially, but because of their provision financially, they were able to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus spiritually. So the physical provision transformed their spiritual life. And it was for people, I think this is so fascinating, it was for people they're never going to meet. And that immediately sounds like mission stuff, but it's also a thing where we're going, hey, when, when we make an investment here today, we're investing in our church tomorrow and the next day and the years to come where all the loudkins of the basement are now leading the church on the second floor, <laughs> right? And like mine are leading the pack down there. But the truth of the matter is that we're investing in people we may never meet face to face. The third point is generosity heals, protects, and it covers our brokenness. In Luke chapter 10, there's a familiar set of verses. And again, this is just so wild to me. I just couldn't think, it just didn't click right off the top of my head today. What is a generous story in the Bible? It's like, I don't know, the Good Samaritan maybe like fits that category. And so today we want to look at that. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell amongst robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. Whatever you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. What is a picture of generosity and a byproduct of it? Well, we have to understand a quick context here. Because Jerusalem sits on a mountain 2,500 feet above sea level. One always goes down from Jerusalem. You never leave Jerusalem and go up, right? You're always going down from 
Jerusalem. No matter which direction you take, you're always headed down the hill. Jericho was 17 miles to the east of Jerusalem and approximately 800 feet below sea level. So again, you're going down the hill to the east to head uh, over there. And he fell into the hands of robbers. Robbers hid in these mountains, in the rocks, in the cleft of the rocks, uh, in the desert, along the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. So it's a pretty, it's a bad neighborhood. That's the bottom line. He's going through a rough neighborhood, and it's not really a neighborhood, but he's going down through the desert. There's robbers that wait, and they attack people on that road. It's a dangerous, it's knowingly a dangerous environment. And we have three people that come through and, and encounter the brokenness of this guy. The first one is a priest. Well, a priest is a descendant of Aaron, involved in sacrifices and the maintenance of the temple. So this is like, no doubt about it, a religious person. As well as uh, these people, they perform pur purification rites. Uh, the priest could not defile himself. And so a lot of people assume because the nature of, of being a priest in this kind of religious construct, that it's, uh, he assumed that guy was dead. Well, a priest could not come in contact with a, with a dead body. And so he assumed, you know, so, so again, it's, it's not really the point of the story to assume why he did it, but that's a lot of people say that. The, well, the priest can't, like, you know, by Jewish law, come in contact with a dead body. That's other people's job. They move that around and then they perform rituals that keeps them clean ceremonially. Ceremonially. And so the priest would, would kind of, you know, he's assuming that guy's dead, so he doesn't really do anything. He just keeps going, keeps his head down, avoiding whatever danger might still be in there. And again, I just don't know that it's really important for us to, to hypothesize the why. The bottom line is he didn't stop. He didn't do anything to help the guy that was hurt. The next person is a Levite. The Levite was a descendant of Levi who assisted priests. So this is kind of second level guy. Uh, he shows up. He comes by. Uh, and, and, and again, this is somebody who would, who would be very familiar with working in the temple, very familiar with the people of God, very familiar with the, the ways of God. And, and, and again, he, he walks by and just doesn't do anything. We could also assume that, you know, that for whatever reasons, he might have assumed he was dead. He didn't help. This isn't a, 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 you know, a knock on the priest and the Levite. It's simply an awareness that the two people that are most connected in the religious sense were the two people who showed no compassion and no generosity. But then a Samaritan walks by. And again, you have to get the context. The term Samaritan is, a, is an emphatic position in this sentence. Jesus chose... Uh, Jesus deliberately chooses this kind of outsider. So, so Jewish people and Samaritan people, we could go back and look at, at the, the war that kind of separated Samaria. And I mean, it massive tension, massive hatred. They would walk around each other's areas to avoid each other. There was a, a massive disdain uh, for, for Jews and Samaritans. But the truth is, is Jesus chooses this guy to be a part of his story. And he's telling him, and he goes in, that they know, he, he knows this, that Jews hate Samaritans and Samaritans hate Jews. If anyone was going to pass by the, Samarit uh, the, the guy and, and, and not help him, you would assume the Samaritan would have been that guy. 
But the truth is, is two religious men walk by. The two guys that you assume would be generous, the two guys you assume would be compassionate, Jesus doesn't use them to, to help the guy in the story. Jesus uses a Samaritan, the most unlikely candidate of the three, to meet this man and show him mercy and, and show him grace and show him love. And, and this Samaritan goes above and beyond. And again, it's that theme that we, just, we heard in the very beginning, that when God's people start to become generous, when we start to live in a life where we're near to Jesus, the byproduct is generosity that, that covers more than enough. I think it's so interesting that, that he grabs this guy, he takes him to the inn, he, he says, hey, I'm not only going to give you a couple denarii for food and drinks, but he says, hey, whatever you spend getting this guy better, I'm going to cover that too. I'm going to heal your wounds, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to nourish you, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to give you plenty and more. And I think it's so easy to wake up in the middle of the night and start questioning, is God really going to show up? Is he really going to take care of me? And if he's willing to use Samaritans to do what they did, in this story, if he's willing to use that which is broken and hated to bring covering and restoration, to bring healing and hope to this man, then what is God willing to do for us? What provision is he not willing to provide? What, 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 what thing is he not willing to take care of on our behalf? And so the truth is, is that, that when God's people find generosity, it might even be that God uses people to, to provide for it in, 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 in the most unsuspecting of circumstances. He might use those who you would assume wouldn't be generous to be generous and vice versa. But the result of generosity is that healing, recovery, provision, and above and beyond all that was required was given when this person got convicted and, and compassion fell on them and the heart of God moved. We see all of that and more come. And then the fourth one is this. I believe that generosity is the... Is the that which precedes the miraculous. This one is an interesting one, and I just, it got all over me this week. Matthew 14, 14 and 21, it says, And when he went ashore, Jesus saw a large crowd, felt compassion for them, and healed their sick. Then when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they might go into the village and get some food. But Jesus says to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. That's a challenging moment when you provide a good idea and Jesus goes, I got a better idea. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> we could write a whole sermon on that one. But the truth is, is he says, you provide them something to eat. And they said to him, the disciples, right? It didn't say he, they said, they all came together like, listen, we only have a little kid's lunch. We have here only five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them to me. And ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over in the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate, besides the women and children. You see, that story is so familiar. 
but it's so pivotal on one thing happening. What was the one thing? Someone had to give their lunch up. I never think about that. But one person had to give up the five loaves and the two, or the two loaves and the five fish. The truth is, that's about the equivalent of a lunchable. Some child said, you can have my lunch, Jesus, and I know you can do more with it than I can, so take it. And that one act of faith, that one act of generosity proceeded to feed thousands of people in a miraculous moment on a hill as the sun set over the town. There was nothing that the disciples could conjure up. There was nothing the religious leaders, you know, the disciples could, could, could pray up that would, would provide for the needs that was very present and real right in front of them. But a little kid said, take my lunch. And the truth is, is as, 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 as we see that, and it's so easy to just go, man, I just, you know, I don't know. What, what could my thing do? What could I do? But if God can do that with a lunchable, 5,000 men, it doesn't say 5,000 people. We always say feeding of the 5,000. But it says there were 5,000 men. That's just who they counted. Women and children were there too. So start adding that up. How many, you know, women, children, and the 5,000 men? You're talking about it could be 10, 15,000 people were present that day, and they fed on a tiny lunch. Lunchable. I don't know why I keep calling it a lunchable. <laughs> Just used to that. That's the world I live in. But the truth of the matter is, is it is unfathomable what God can do with so little. And yet, for some reason, we've just settled in ourselves. Yeah, he did it then, but wh why won't he do it again? We just sang about it, right? Like, like, why won't he do it? If he did it then, won't he do it again? Did something stop? Did all of a sudden God just break at the end of whenever time? And we just went, hey, now we got it, God? We're, with, we're on our own? No, the truth is all we have to do is come up with a Lunchable and let him show up and do the rest. He didn't need the disciples to come up with some terrific strategy around how to figure out how to bake food out of nothing, right? I love that they go, we've thought about it, Lord. We ain't got a plan, right? They're rather they're counting beans like, nope, that ain't gonna work. Jesus, I get your idea. You want to feed people, but we ain't got no food. So send them home. They push on Jesus, and Jesus pushes back on them and says, you do it. So for a moment, you can tell they all kind of, what are we going to do? <laughs> do you have anything in your pocket? Do you, do, you, or do you have anything we can give to these people? He just, like God himself, just said, you feed them. There's 5,000 men, all kinds of women and kids. It's loud, it's hectic, it's crazy, and they're hungry. Hungry people are crazy people. We all know that, right? Let me rephrase that. I'll own it. When I'm hungry, I'm crazy. But the truth is, is these people are, are wound up. They're excited. They're hungry. There's thousands. I mean, think about like 12 people trying to orchestrate feeding 5,000 people. 5,000 men. That is insane. And yet Jesus goes, you do it. And they go, I have no idea how we're going to do it. And he goes, we'll use the kid's lunch. That's a starting point. But that single act of generosity, I think, is oftentimes overlooked. 
the kid had to say, take my lunch. And as much as I want to see the big, crazy stuff, as much as I want to see a moment on April 11th, like I'm not trying to be coy about this, where we just have more than enough, where we just see all the provision come in, where we see all these things happen, what is actually better than that is every one of us getting in a posture of saying, God, use whatever I've got. Take my lunch. Take my safety and security for this very simple temporal moment and and meet a need of people that I'm never going to meet. Take care of somebody I'm never going to see. Cover, heal, restore people that I might never know are broken, that I might never get a chance. Take my lunch and use it to do the miraculous because God is not done doing the miraculous. I am convinced of it that the church has grown weak because we don't think God's up to anything anymore. So we just stay stagnant in our religious services to just do something, to just show up and just keep kind of living in our cultural Christianity. But the truth is, is God still wants to set people free. He still wants to see captives released from bondage. He wants to see marriages get healed. He wants to see people who are bound for eternity in hell to be freed by the grace of the gospel of Jesus. The church still has a real tangible mission right here on the earth, and it's going to start with us saying, God, use our little to do your much. The results and the byproduct of, of, the, of the generosity of God's people are unprecedented. We could go on and on and on all day today. But I don't think any of it supersedes a child giving up what he's got so God can feed thousands right in front of him. And the other thing that happens that you'd never hear talked about, what happened to that kid? What was his life like after that? You guys, you think you're worried about God taking care of this little issue? One time I gave Jesus a couple fish and a loaf of bread and he found 15,000 people right in front of me. And it was all because of the gift I gave. Like just, I gave it. The disciples couldn't figure it out. Nobody figured it out. I handed it to Jesus and he used it to feed everybody, to provide for everybody. That kid's faith couldn't be quenched. I can't wait to get into heaven someday and go find that kid and go, man, what was that like? And I say all that to say I think we are on the the cusp of being a part of something just like that. I believe that as we continue to grow our church, I, I, I met with an architect this last week and I loved this idea. They said, man, the more you talk about it, you don't want to build a church. You already have a church. You want to build a venue to house your church. I said, that's right. We're not building a church. I don't need to build a church. I have a church. We're just spread out all over the place. (laughs) I need a place that I can get them together and see them all and smile and laugh and hug and cry and weep and celebrate and mourn and and be the body of Christ together. The day we walk into the church isn't, isn't the day I had somebody, a pastor friend, speak this to me the other day. He goes, man, the day you step into your building, God willing, next March or so, It isn't a day that we're all of a sudden going to be going, and now we've arrived. He's saying that's the day you can finally get going. 
If, if what God has done at Grace Chapel Fairview could be done as a dispersed church, imagine what happens. Imagine the miraculous. Imagine the, the, the things that could be seen and done and perceived and prayed and believed. Like imagine what can happen when you have a vehicle to take you there. Anything is possible. And so it is my conviction and belief that as we step towards becoming a generous kind of people, we don't need to, to have in mind this you know, religious thing. We need to have in mind the heart of this young boy, the heart of the, of the people from the desert walking into to receiving their temple, to walking into God's presence, to, to be like the Samaritan that sees the needs of someone he shouldn't even care about and he loves them so much that the heart of God comes through him and provides for everything he needs. He restores him and he brings him home. Beloved, it isn't even a question. It's a biblical truth that generosity produces kingdom results. It produces a more than enough healing, restoring, miracle-working environment, and it costs us all in the short-term term and changes everything in the long-term. We were made to live this way, hands open, relinquishing the idolatry that the world wants to put on our hands and allowing space for God's blessings to fall down. It is the abundant life, and it was what every one of us were made to do. And it is my belief that it's not just, just because we know that's true, it's not going to make it easy. There is every reason in the world, literally, you're going to find every reason in the world pushing against why generosity is, oh, it's a little too much, I shouldn't go there. There's every excuse, like I, I feel it, and if I'm feeling it, surely you feel it. As I think about, hey, what am I going to do? How am I going to participate in this? What am I going to give? All I start thinking about is braces. <laughs> That's real. My son got getting a new wheelchair. We need a new car. I got to figure out. So maybe I should tell, I don't know. I don't know. What, what should I do? How do I? And, and all I think about is the stuff in the world that's very real and very good and very right. It's not need, doesn't need to be neglected. But I need to stop worrying about that and need, I need to start looking and going, God, what do I have to give? I don't have to do all of it, but I want to be a part of the miraculous so God, here's my lunch. Take it. All these other things, God is still going to be generous, right? Oh, God is still going to show up. God's still going to take care of that. It's not like all God cares about right now in the whole world is Grace Chapel Fairview building a building. There's far other, tons of other things, but I promise you that is not less on his list. I, I promise you it is not like, like less, you know, he's not going, hey, well, these things are really important and my, lim my, my resources are limited up here. I, I only have so much to give. Uh, so, you know, wait in line, Grace Chapel, fear of you. That's not God. If he is the God of all, right, almighty, all powerful, all present, then we're not dealing with a, with a limited resource that's, that's going down by importance and scale of economy. We are dealing with a God who wants to show up and, and be a part of what we're doing because we are His church. And so we can rest assured that He's individually going to meet the needs all around us and corporately meet the needs that we have together. 
because generosity is the heart of God. It's who he is, and it's what we were made to be. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for these moments we share. Thank you that your church isn't restricted by or limited to a confined space. That God, because of technology, because of, uh, of, of creativity, we can be your church. We don't need a, a, a church building to be built so we can be who you've called us to be. We are right now who you've called us to be. And God, we're just asking that you would provide, that you would take care of, that you would build us a house so we could do your work and be the heart of Jesus right here in the city of Fairview. God, for every other need, for, for braces, for cars, for every need in this room right now, I pray that as we start to live generously, we would start to feel you providing miraculously. We honor you. We trust you. We submit it to you and say, God, this is your church. So do what you want to. In Jesus' name, amen.